Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. This segment is brought to you by Jigmaster Jigs. When in doubt, get the jig out. Go to jigmasters.com and use promo code PNF20 and save 20% off your next jig order today. Welcome to the Pat on Fan Podcast, the Bass Fishing for Noobs segment, where we try to improve our skills as an angler by learning new techniques or improving the ones we already know. I'm your host, Ryan Milford. podcast uh i'm your host sean lavery and with me always is my uh partner in crime ryan how's it going ryan what's going on man not much hey uh we got a special guest for you guys this uh, evening um none other than the basquatch hunter himself mike mckinsey <laughs> i come with my own applause track that's awesome <laughs> you know so, i do that one too so welcome mike i know um when i was uh i i felt like a total noob when i first reached out to you because i didn't realize that you had been on uh paddle and finn before and then uh you're like i went back and listened and found out you were on the final cast to talk about uh your your kayaks and also then i today just yesterday i saw you talk to brian and jay on the og show too so yeah uh yeah, I was a total noob on that end. <laughs> it's all right, uh, man. I'm, I'm a fan of the show, so it's good. So, that's awesome. So, but we'd like to welcome you to the Bass Fish for Noob segment, because uh, you've never been on here. So, no, and I need to be. I belong out here. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome. You're among friends here, man. So, good. <laughs> so uh, I guess for those of you, uh, the listeners that haven't heard the other shows, uh, I want to just do a quick intro of yourself, like uh, where who you are, where you're from, and how you got into uh, kayak fishing. Yeah. Uh, so, um, my name is Mike McKinstry, as you guys heard. Um, and I feel like it's like some kind of meeting where you're supposed to say it back to me, like, hi, Mike. 
uh, <laughs> but uh, so my name is Mike McKinstry. Um, I have a show, uh, a little YouTube channel and um, a cable TV show and everything called Basquatch Hunter TV. And I travel the country with kayaks and um, this season with boats and kayaks. And we fish out of um, even a little sneak peek here. We even fish out of airplanes in this in this segment this year. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so we're doing uh, we do some cool stuff on my show. We fish out of a lot of different things, including kayaks. Mostly um, we find some cool adventures and then we do a lot of charity segments, too, where we pay it forward to local communities and give back to all the supporters and everything, too, um, which has been a little bit tougher to do lately with all the everything being closed, but, um, you know, we've been donating stuff behind the scenes kind of thing, just helping people out still. But, um, so I have that show it's on uh, pursuit channel starting April 30th, which is in six days. It premieres on cable TV. Um, and it airs three times a week, um, 78 times. And, uh, then, uh, I have the YouTube channel and pursuit upstreaming and Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, then my main my main goal of what I do is to try to promote the sport of fishing in general and promote people to follow their dreams and you know go outside and you know do good and be good and not just go outside for your own benefit, but also try to find ways to give back to people too. And you know my slogan is always take care of the people you meet. Or sorry, I said it backwards. Always take care of the fish you catch, the water you touch, and the people you meet. And that's what I try to show in my show all the time. So that's who I am, at least um, the, the long version. Um, and then you asked how I got into kayak fishing and I'm going to try to give you a short version of this cause I get really long winded with stuff that I'm passionate about, which is all of this. Um, I got into kayak fishing because I was in the bass boat world. I've been fishing since I was a kid. Like my youngest memories of fishing, I was probably five years old. Um, and I actually got into fishing, not because my family or anybody, nobody I know fished actually, um, my dad still has never fished with me. Like it's just a thing I've just never had, but I watched bill dance when I was a kid and I just thought it was so cool how he had so much fun doing something that he obviously loved. And I always had that in the back of my mind that there was something I wanted to do with fishing eventually, but I didn't know, I didn't know what. Um, and then my whole life I've been doing marketing and business and sales and, you know, um, I've been in, in sports at different levels and everything. And it all led to me being able to find a career in a fishing world. So, I took bass boats a little more seriously when I got older. I started doing tournaments. I started trying to find ways to make a make any kind of living or make any kind of money at all, which is a lot harder than people think. And I ended up getting lucky, and I did a marketing career for 13 years. And nine of those years, I did the marketing for Kevin Van Dam and some other um, pretty big celebrities and big people. But I got to fish with Kevin and learn a bunch of stuff from him. And I, he taught me how to – or didn't teach me, but he told me about how the business part works a little bit. So I knew that tournament – fishing wasn't where the money was. It was more branding and more, you know, promotional stuff like that. And getting people involved in the sport was the bigger picture. So I tried doing that with bass boats and it didn't work. And I kept on breaking my motors and breaking my props going on these, on these lakes by me. So I was like, you know what, let me try this, this little kayak thing. Like I'll get this little plastic little thing that's going to flip over and let me just try to go out and see what happens. Well, the first week I had it, I caught my personal best in a spot that my boat would never go. So I sold the bass boat two weeks later, um, and I haven't owned a bass boat since. Um, I sold the bass boat two weeks later. I bought me and my ex-wife at the time. I bought me and my ex-wife both matching kayaks. They were feel freeze, my first kayak I ever had. And uh, I fell in love. My first tournament, I uh, I flipped over and lost all my gear. And by the end of the tournament, every stranger at that place donated all their gear to help me get back out there, and I finished top 10. And I fell in love. I was like, people need to know about this. People need to know how amazing this community is, how amazing the sport is, how much fun it is. So then I started doing what I do now to help promote it and let people see how much fun it really is. 
So that's the short version of how I got into kayak fishing. <laughs> now, something I did want to clarify real quick. Yes. For, for one, is is he frozen on your screen, Sean? He's been he frozen is. on me the whole time he's been talking. Yeah. So I wasn't sure if it was just me or not. Oh, but you but, look uh, good. <laughs> in a weird pose when I'm frozen. I'm assuming uh, that. You, you look like you're running in high speed with your hands. They're kind of. I was. I was. That's what I was doing. I was jogging in place. <laughs> Here, let me uh, let me turn my video off and back on and see if it helps out. I know the internet's have been like the internet speeds have been crazy lately because everybody's home right now. Yeah. Yeah. Something I did want you to clarify real quick. You said it. Your uh, first episode comes out on April 30th, and you said six days 30th. from now. Okay. That's uh, what. I, I wasn't sure if you wasn't sure what the date was or if you now, I, I don't know what day it is uh, half the time. Messed up on that. <laughs> now, does that show so does that show follow the same format that your the Basquatch Hunter stuff did or uh, just a continuation of that on a different network or um so it's all so it's funny because everything's new except the first episode. The first episode is actually an episode I did last year. Um, with the NASCAR driver, the rookie of the year NASCAR driver, but it's my favorite episode I ever did. So I re-edited the whole thing um, and changed it. Same footage, but I went through and changed it all around and re-edited it, and I had to take like six minutes out of it, so I had to redo the whole thing and all new music and everything like that. Um, so that's the first, that's the season premiere, just because I love that episode. After that, everything's all brand new footage and all new adventures and new stuff, and it's a new format. It's kind of the same format that I started doing at the end of last season, when I was on streaming, um, as far as like segments, like there's kayak fishing, then there's like an adventure or fishing out of a different thing. Um, and then there's like a charity, like a pay it forward segment that I love doing. Um, so it's, it's, that's the format of the new show. So it's kind of the same as the end of last year, but it's all new stuff. Okay, cool. I definitely, uh, liked the, the stuff I watched. I, I remember I watched the one where you caught sturgeon and, and, oh, uh, how gentle you were and how amazing those huge fish were. They're like the size of your kayak. Yeah. Those, the biggest one we caught was seven foot. And wow. those things were like, it was like hooking onto a semi truck underwater. It's just like, it, as soon as you hooked on, there was no fight. It just, you just started pulling and then it would turn and then you would turn you again. And you just got to like, make sure you can like adjust your body weight. So you don't flip over and doesn't pull you over. And, uh, we were fishing in a small body of water. So they ran out of water eventually and they would just run you into shore. So with sturgeon, especially in Idaho, they're, they're so protected and they're such a beautiful animal. They're actually related to the shark species. So like they look like a shark, like their mouth looks like a shark mouth, but there's no teeth um, and there's no bones. They have zero bones. It's all cartilage. So they're a very delicate fish. If you pull them all the way out of the water, the air could actually kill them. Um, if they run against grass, the grass could cut them open and kill them. Um, and it happens a lot. So we were lucky enough to be taught how to do this all correctly when we filmed that. So when we caught the sturgeon, we jumped in the water with them and we held them only 50% above water and that was it. So we can get a picture. And then we slowly like massaged him and released him. And it was, it was such a cool experience. That's, that's awesome. Now are you catching these on a kayak or a boat? Those are all kayaks, man. Yeah. That was so much fun. <laughs> I would never want to, I would never want to fight sturgeon in a boat because I feel like, I feel like fighting a sturgeon from a boat or from shore even doesn't even give you the, it does, you don't get to, understand the respect you have to have for a fish that big you know when you're in a kayak you can't sit still you're being pulled with it and every motion that that fish makes you can feel and it changes your balance and your displacement in the water so it gives you a lot more even when you get a big bass or a big pike or a muskie or anything in a kayak it just 
I, I don't know. That's why I fell in love with the sport so much. It just, it changes like everything when you can feel the strength and the power and like, you know, it's just, you have a lot more respect for these animals once you, once you get to experience it, you know? Yeah. That's and awesome. uh, so, something that I did want to throw out there real quick, I just checked the date. This episode will actually come out on the 30th. So the same day as the first episode so y'all go make sure you check that out on the pursuit channel right yeah it'll be on the pursuit channel but here's the weird thing and i have to double check these times so don't quote me on it too much but i'm pretty sure on monday when it airs which is march 30th it airs at 1 30 p.m which is a weird time but it's like the daytime prime time but with everything being shut down it's actually a really good time now because everyone's home and yeah then, and then it airs wednesday at 6 a.m and then it airs my my like prime time spot it airs on Saturday at 6:30 p.m. Okay. And that's all Eastern Standard Time. Um cool. so the the premieres of each episode, the new episodes will always be Monday afternoons and then the last airing is on a Saturday. And I did that on purpose where people usually do that backwards where they do the main airing on like a, a prime time spot, but then the reruns are on like throwaway spots. I did it backwards because well, partially because I don't do anything normal. I try to make sure I never do anything <laughs> like anybody else. Um, I try to make everything as unique and as 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 much of myself as I can. And you know, no two people are alike. So why should any two shows be alike? So everything about my show is different than any other fishing show you've seen. And my format and my time spots even are backwards because I figured if you watch it Monday at 1:30. Usually you're probably watching it from your phone at work or your uh, someone stay, stays at home. So if you miss it, then when it first comes out, then you miss it at 6 a.m. on Wednesday for the same reasons. Then you get to watch it after everybody else has seen it already. You get to watch it for the first time on Saturday. And I did that on purpose because I know it sounds kind of cruel, but I did it because I want everyone to like almost get excited to be like, hey, on Monday at 1.30, we're going to like watch this at work. Or when I get home, I want to make sure I recorded it. I DVR'd it so I can watch it when I get home. Like I wanted to make it more of like a, like, I don't want to make it easy, I guess. Like where it's like, oh, it's on in the easiest time in the world. You know, like Saturday nights, people have things to do. People have bonfires. People have like, you know, family gatherings. They have get togethers. They have their social life. So I don't want to make people pause their life to do, to watch my show live. I'm like, if they watch it during the day, they can DVR it. You know, I, just, I don't know. I had some weird theories behind it, I guess, but. No, I think it's cool. And, and. You know, even the people that are still working, you know, pretty much any shift can catch one of those. Exactly. And that's that's the other part of it, too, is a lot of people watch my stuff. I, I get messages at two o'clock in the afternoon on a Thursday and like, hey, I just watch your stuff. I'm like, aren't you working? And they're like, yeah, I got downtime. I'm like, cool. <laughs> yes. If I'm, my boss I, I don't, this, I don't do it at work. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I, I don't have a. Uh, any type of satellite or cable. I, I got like the Hulu live thing. So I'm going to have to see if they got the pursuit channel on there. So you can get pursuit up is called the app and it's a free app. You can get on any smart TV, phone, tablet, anything. And you can watch the shows always on there. It's all streaming. But the way that the, the way that like the cable network TV works is they won't put it on the streaming platform right away. They want to wait like 30 to 90 days. I think it is. So that way it runs its course on cable first and then you can watch it on demand. Um, so you can always do it that way too, is just on pursuit up. It'll be like a month or two before it starts posting on there, but in about a month or two, every episode will start posting every week on there too. Okay. Sweet. Cool. Plus I'm posting all my stuff on YouTube. Um, so all my stuff will be on YouTube, like with, I think about a month after it airs. Okay. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, I was reading. I was. I guess we should tie this in somehow to to noobs and teaching. So I was <laughs> yeah, reading sorry, an article. I, I, I warned you. I no. talk a lot, hey, so I that's all right, man. I have that's this uh, this finger squirrel. Because we I just... have squirrel syndrome and I get distracted, <laughs> so I just keep us right here to remind people. Uh, uh, that's, that, I was gonna say that's all right. We just killed like twenty minutes, so yeah. <laughs> but I was no, gonna we're, say we're just, I, uh, yeah. I I read an article. Uh, I think it was in Kayak Angler magazine where you talked about um, power fishing to learn a new body of water, and um, I think they went over. You using a chatterbait, a crankbait, and a, a shaky head, I think. Yep. And one of the things that surprised me was that you said you were throwing both the crankbait and the shaky head on uh, spinning gear. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I mean, I've always thought that you know crankbaits most people throw on uh, on a baitcaster. Is there a difference for why you why you choose spinning gear for that? So I don't remember the article enough, um, and I, I I wish I had it in front of me because. I, I usually throw crankbaits on casting gear. Okay. Um, I I don't know if I don't know if you misquoted the article or if I just had something really stupid for some reason, but <laughs> usually I wouldn't do that. Um, okay, I, that's shaky, what it surprised me. But yeah, shaky heads I'll throw on spinning gear all day. Um, okay. that's a hundred percent. Any kind of finesse fishing whatsoever is always going to be on um a, a spinning uh, setup. Um, any kind of jigging or upward baits are all will always be on spinning. Um, any kind of moving baits, I'll always throw on casting. Okay. So you, you throw jigs on spinning gear. So you know what's funny is, let me ask you this: Are you saying that for a reason? Or are you seriously asking? Because there's like an inside well, joke about that. I don't, do you know about that? <laughs> no, I don't. I so <laughs> let me tell you really quick. I have so Z-Man makes this little finesse room jig. It's a fifteenth ounce. It's super small. And it's like a Ned rig head with a skirt. So I use that on spinning gear because it's a 15th ounce and it's finesse. So I had a, I was doing a boat show seminar and one of my rods was set up with that. And some guy walked by and goes, you use jigs on spinning gear. And he said it really loud. And it became like a joke because everybody started being (laughs) like, wait, you do what? And it became like this huge deal where everybody was giving me crap for using spinning gear for jigs. And I was like, that's a 15th ounce. Like you have to use that for spinning. Like, what are you talking about? Um, so I didn't know if you were at, I'm like, did that get around? Like, do you know about this? Cause like, no, I no, no, you just said jigging. So in my head, when you say something about a jig, I'm thinking like, like a football head or a flipping jig or something like that. Something heavier. No, heavier uh, stuff I'll do. Uh, that's, you know, that's the exception to obviously. So the, my, my theory again, and, and, I always want to remind people that fishing is like 80% opinions and 20% science. Um, actually we'll say 18% science and 2% luck. Um, and my opinion is on a spinning rod, the eyelets are on the bottom. So in order to have your line completely taut on the, the, on the eyelets, which is going to give you your sensitivity. It's going to give you all your feels, it's going to give you everything you need. 
that's if you think about like the 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 physics of it, the fishing line pulls down when you're jigging, when you're working up and down. So spinning gear makes perfect sense for that because then you're pulling down on your rod. Where a bait casting rod, your eyelets are on top. So if you're using a bait that's pulling straight down, you're actually putting the line on your rod instead of the eyelets. Um, so I would flip it upside down, obviously, which is a spinning rod. So if I'm using moving gear, the line's always in front of me. If I'm using finesse gear or jigging then the lines below me so that's how i that's how i differentiate spinning gear versus bait casting gear Hmm. it's a theory it's all it is there's no science behind it i haven't run in clinical trials or anything it's just is what it is for for me i I, i've never really looked that far into it for me i've pretty much if it's over you know depending on what it is kind of the eighth to quarter area if it's hits that it's casting gear because I, I don't like spinning gear anyways i carry one spinning rod with me but uh anything lower than that area then spinning gear yeah see I, i'm i'm the same way in a way too like anything over a quarter ounce i rather throw i rather throw casting gear all day too um it's just you can't throw a 15th ounce Ned rig on casting gear yeah, and, yeah. and wind. And also I feel like it's more sensitive to use spinning gear um, when you're using really small baits like that. So there is a theory behind that too. Like if I'm using a crankbait that for some reason weighed like a 10th of an ounce, then I'm sure I wouldn't want to throw that on a bait caster anyway, either. It'd be, it'd be way too finicky. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that's why I keep one spinning rod with me for my Ned rigs and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, getting back to what you were saying too, though, about the power fishing too, I think that's a really important part um, as far as like fishing for noobs is power fishing is what I always suggest to a noob. That's like the style. I don't ever suggest finesse fishing as a starting technique because it's finesse fishing requires finesse. It's a, it's, it's a, like the net rig took me over a year of using just the net rig to actually like understand it better and to be able to teach it and be able to do seminars on it. And I still learn about it all the time. Um, you can learn new things every time they have a new bait come out. Thank you. Thank you so much for saying that. <laughs> because every time, every time that I say to somebody like, man, I'd really love to have somebody on here to talk about the Ned rig. It's cause I've caught a few fish off of it. I'd love to know more about it. They're like, why it's so easy. You just cast it out there and just work it real slow. So people that do that are the same ones that have their bait swallowed by every fish or they miss every third hook set. And that's what I did for a year is I had to learn to make sure a fish didn't swallow it. So you have to really pay attention to how it feels so that you can hook them correctly. And the Ned Rig is a very specific, I mean, I actually got one right here because I actually talk about this a lot. So this is the Ned Rig for everyone who is not used to this. The Ned Rig is called the Ned Rig because there's a guy named Ned who started this, um, who came up with this this design and this technique um, and with Z-Man fishing products. So this is the Ned Rig I use with the Z-Man TRD and it's a 15th ounce um, Ned Locks head, and this is the chartreuse color. Um, and then this is a two and a half inch Elastec, looks like half of a Senko pretty much. Um, and the Elastec stretches forever and it floats automatically. So the the whole science behind the Ned rig of why it's so effective is not because this little teeny bait is more effective than a big bait. It's because the way that this thing moves and with this material floating or trying to float, this 15th ounce head lets it fall really slow. It's just enough weight to keep it sinking. And then it also makes it stand up. So when you put it on the bottom, instead of it laying flat like a shaky head or a Senko would, this will actually stand up like this. So when you, in the eyelet, I don't know if you guys can see this clearly enough on here, but the eyelet is on the side of the head 
um, as opposed to the front, like on a normal hook or a bullet jig. So when this sits flat like this and you pop it up off the bottom, it actually turns upside down. It goes up and then falls back down. So you get a lot of extra movement out of the med rig, but also it's a lot harder to set the hook correctly because of the way that when you pull up to set the hook, it flips the bait. So the the thing that took me forever to learn is you know, you see all these guys all the time doing these full body hook sets, which is ridiculous. Um, you know, it just seems like they're trying to play tug of war with a fish that only weighs two pounds. Like it's ridiculous. But um, you'll always like most. I'm sure you guys do it too. When you hook set, do you hook set to the side or do you hook set straight up usually? Um, for for me, a lot of time it kind of ends up being in the middle, like kind of. Well, it's right to the side. The yeah, it's not straight yeah. up. It's to the side, yeah. right? So that's how 99% of hookups are because you're using baits that either A, have treble hooks, which require no angle. Like it doesn't matter which way you set the hook, you're setting the hook. There's three to six or nine hooks on there. Or you're using like a spinner bait or something where the hook is flat already. It's going like this upward. So when you go to set the hook, it's you're just pulling it. It doesn't matter what direction, you're pulling it. Well, when you have a net rig, if you go to yank it sideways, you can just visualize this. It flattens out. So 99% of the time, you're going to pull it right out of their mouth instead of actually catching the top of the lip most of the time. So what you do with a net rig is you lift up. And that's what I always tell people is the biggest thing. Like when I do seminars, like in a big fish tank or like Bass Pro or something where you can see the fish. And I show people like it's sitting in flat. And then when a fish grabs it, I lift straight up and it puts that hook right in the roof of their mouth. And that's where you know you have a good hook set is if you do a roof of the mouth hook with the net rig. And it's not a hook set. It's a lift. You just lift up and it just, it flips it upside down. It puts it right in the roof of the mouth. You won't lose a fish that way. You'll land them a lot easier and you're not going to, you, you can even let them swim around in front of you and they're not going to lose the hook. So the reason why net rigs are so confusing for people and why they're, why they should be confusing is because you have to learn how to make sure that hook always goes in the roof of their mouth and it's always a hundred percent solid hook set. And that's the hardest part. Something this small, they can swallow so quick. So you have to know what it feels like so you can make sure you pop it at the right time. And you also have to know which way to set the hook. So that's why the net rig is a little bit tricky for people. Well, since we're on the subject, um, what setup are you using for a net rig? Like rod and obviously spinning reel. Yeah. Spinning rod. But like rod sensitivity and line and all that. So I rotate between two different rods for a net rig. Um, I use a seven foot medium heavy fast um, and I use FX custom rods. So they're incredibly sensitive rods. Um, I use a seven foot medium heavy fast spinning. Um, and that's if I'm going somewhere where I need to cast farther or if I'm fishing in any kind of cover where I'm going to be risking pulling up fish with five pounds of weeds on it. Um, if I'm fishing most areas, my number one go-to rod is a six foot six medium heavy, or uh, sorry, medium, uh, medium moderate six foot six. Um, and I like the lighter, shorter rod because if I'm not casting far, obviously, because it's more sensitive. And that's my biggest thing with med rigging is you want to be able to feel everything. So when I feel that little teeny panfish bite at the back of this, I know what it is without having to even pull the hook out of its mouth. If I feel a bass swipe at it, I want to feel it immediately so I know to set the hook before he swallows it. So I've never actually had a fish swallow a Ned rig um, because of that, because I'm always so careful. If I feel like a little flick on it, I lift up, and if there's nothing on it, I set it back down, and then that's when they strike again usually. Um, so I usually use a six foot six medium moderate as my my go-to, and I use uh sorry uh I use ten pound fluorocarbon. Um, I use ten pound straight fluoro, and on spinning obviously. Well, I've never heard of anybody using a medium heavy for a Ned rig. So that's, Only when that's, I'm casting that's first far. for me. Are, if I'm are casting you... far, I need the longer length to be able to cast further. Yeah. 
And then also if I'm pulling out of cover. So a lot of times I fish Ned rigs on the edge of a weed line, um, like 15 foot down is my sweet spot usually. And I fish next to a lot of heavy cover. That's my favorite spot to Ned rig is right in the edge of a drop off with really heavy cover. So if that fish is going to come out of the cover, grab the bait or grab what it thinks is a bait fish. And then it's going to turn back around and run back into the cover usually. So if I'm pulling out five pounds of weeds, I don't want to use a medium light or any, I want to be able to have backbone. You know, I want to be able to make sure that when I pull that, when I lift up and just apply pressure to set that net rig, I want to make sure that I, my rod's not going to just double over and I'm going to lose the hook set, you know? So in those situations, I'll use a seven foot, um, but I will use the six, six medium moderate most of the time. Now, are you still using 10 pound fluoro on that? You know, in the, all those weeds? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I won't you use, uh, I don't use leaders on, on net rigs and I get in debates about this all the time. Um, I don't use leaders on net rigs because I've had too many issues with, if I use braid, braid has zero stretch and then I use it to mono or to floral, which has stretch. It gives me a delay in my hook set. So I don't use leaders on net rigs. It's just, I get in debates about it because it's all personal preference. Um, and it's just, there's no, like, again, no science behind it, but I've had issues with that before where I've missed hook sets and I blame it on that. So I, I just use straight floral and I haven't had a problem since. But have you had any issues with the grass, like cutting your line or anything? Would that nope, be in a I've actually dam? never broken off a net rig unless it was on a pike um, or a toothy fish. Um, and I just had this talk today because we were fishing with net rigs a lot today. And I was telling my camera guys, also a fisherman, and we were talking about like we go back and forth and joke with each other about the net rig because he knows it's my number one bait. And he was like, man, he goes, how have you snagged three logs? You've lifted up a, a grocery bag and you've never broken it. Like, how do you not break that off? I'm like, I don't know. I just never broke one off. So I don't find a need to change it. So I've used straight fluorocarbon on net rigs for two years now. And I've never had one break on accident unless a pike grabs it. Or I just stupid. Like if I hook a tree underwater and I'm just like yanking on it, obviously. And what brand of fluorocarbon do you use? Because I might um, may need to switch to this. <laughs> so I rotate, actually, um, which is another debate thing that I get with people. Um, I use um, Berkeley Trilene, and I also use Seaguar Brazex. Um, so, and this is where it gets more detailed for your answer to your question, too. When I'm using my 7-foot, I have Seaguar Brazex on that reel. When I'm using my 6.6, six, I have Berkeley Trilene on that one. So when I'm doing the heavier lifting and fishing in the weeds, I do have the Seaguar Brazex, which is a lot better for abrasion resistance than the uh, Berkeley Trilene is. Okay. Uh, how do you feel about making a net rig uh, weedless opposed to having that hook out there? So, I mean, the, I don't, I'm not a big fan of the, of the weedless hooks that they make for these. Um, but I do like, the bullet, um, the bullet um, rigs for these that Z-Man makes, and that makes this weedless. So hooking it weedless with the right terminal tackle is, I think it's awesome. I do that a lot actually, but the weedless hook with the wire on it is is a little tough for me to get behind because finesse fishing is so delicate and it's so like you have to feel everything. And putting a little wire, you know, keeper in front of it um, or a wire guard in front of it takes away some of your sensitivity and it'll it'll lose some of your hook sets. So. I like using the, if I'm fishing in really heavy cover and actually in the cover or a hole in the weeds kind of thing where I know I'm going to be tangled up, I'll use the, I thought I had one up here actually. The, uh, I swear I had one up here. Oh, I do. Hold on. These are the, the finesse bullets, the weedless 
jigs from Z-Man. So I'll use these if I'm fishing in cover for to make it weedless. But I don't like the I don't like the hooks of the wire keeper on them for finesse fishing. I think it takes away from the sensitivity of the the, the bite. I was just wondering because uh, our sponsor Jig Masters they make a Ned rig head that's got the little spiral bait keeper on it. And I came out with a video here. It's probably been month, month and a half ago, something like that, where I actually took a TRD, like, and basically Texas rigged it on there by just putting a little, uh, putting the hook through a little piece of it, sliding it down, and spinning it around on that spiral bait keeper, and then uh, bringing it up and putting it on the hook. I don't have one to demonstrate beside me, but, but it basically looks like it's kind of texas rigged on there at that point so i, was, I just wasn't sure I, I haven't actually used it like that yet so i wasn't sure how you felt about it about whether i'd lessen my hookup ratio with that or well i mean you always lessen your hookup ratio when you're adding like a less exposed hook obviously but you're also lessening your hookup ratio to everything else too so it's it's a trade-off but but that's like the screw type keeper is good too. It's just, it's hard with the Elastec baits cause you have to like yeah. massage it on yeah, there. It's it like is. super tough. Um, but once it's on there, it's on there. Um, the, the way the pull it's like a hundred fish before you have to change it out. Oh yeah. I, last year I used the same, the same one the whole year. I use the same copper truce TRD the whole entire year. Um, the finesse bullets are the same style. It'll, it looks the same once it's hooked up. Like it's still the same angle. It's still got that, you know, the Texas rig look to it. That's sweet. I'm reading that uh, Kyle Kayak Angler Magazine article right now, <laughs> and I honestly am like, so I've thrown crankbaits on spinning gear. I mean, I've done it plenty of times, but it's not like my if I had like a perfectly controlled environment, that's not what I would no- normally do. Um, so yeah, that's funny. I did say that in there. I don't know if I just said it weird, or maybe he misheard it too. I, yeah, I don't know. That's or funny. out of context because I, I know, you know, there are smaller crankbaits that. You know, you, you have to throw on spinning gear. Like, uh, you know, when I did the Bill Schultz episode, he was talking about throwing one of those little crankbait crawls from Rebel. Man, those things are so tiny. If you try to throw that on a baitcaster, you're either going to have your tension so tight that it's only going to go like five feet, or it's or you're going to bird nest every time pretty much so. Yeah, I mean, I do, like, I, I, there's been plenty of times, like, I'm not against throwing a crankbait on a spinning rod. That's one of those baits, especially a square bill or a, any kind of crankbait that you're just doing a steady retrieve of. You're not, like, using a jerk bait where you got to, like, do an actual or a top water or something like that. I'm not against using spinning gear for that at all. I just wouldn't normally do that as my go-to. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, and it totally caught me off guard when I read it. I was like, huh. And I, I was thinking the same thing Ryan just said. Like, my first bass I got on the river this year was on one of those little rebel crawls and I was throwing it on spinning gear and I was like, okay, that kind of makes sense. I guess uh, I just hadn't heard of it for anything other than that. But uh, yeah, I mean, I've heard so many people say like, Oh, I use this bait for this kind of setup for this reason. And I'm like, huh, I would never do that. But I mean, it works, you know, like, right. I've seen guys win win huge tournaments with completely backwards gear from what I would use. And I'm like, well, like, you know, people used to catch fish on pieces of wood. So, I mean, you know, who am I to, who am I to, that's why I said fishing is an 80% opinion. And that's why I say that because who am I to say this is right or wrong? Nobody actually knows, you know, f- fishing tackle and fishing gear is made to catch fishermen more than it is to catch fish. So mm-hmm. who really knows, you know, if this bait is electronic and it makes cricket noises underwater, is that really helping you or not? You know what I mean? Like, 
So the, that's the way I look at it. So, I mean, can you use spinning gear for every single bait out there? Absolutely. I did it when I was younger. I never used a bait caster when I was a kid. I threw every single bait you could think of with the spinning reel. So it's not, and especially since we're talking about fishing for noobs, like there's nothing wrong with using a spinning reel for every bait technique possible. There's just, it's like using, you can use a sledgehammer to put a finishing nail on the wall, but it's probably not a good idea. You know, they make specific hammers for like, there's, there's finishing hammers or sledgehammers, there's ball peen hammers, there's, you know what I mean? So there's, if you use the right tool for the right job, it makes it easier and more likely that you'll be effective and efficient. But if you use the wrong tool, it doesn't mean you can't do the job. I usually use like the handle of a screwdriver to drive my nails in the wall. So <laughs> I, I used to build for a living. I built furniture and stuff for a couple of years and you'll be surprised at things I've used for hammers. Like you, you, you get that thing where you're like holding a nail that you need to put in and you're just look, looking around like what is hard and what can I, that wrench looks good. What else is there? And you just like grab some random object. And, and, but that's the thing though, when you use a screwdriver or a wrench to hit a nail in, how many times do you miss or put a weird dent in whatever you're hitting or it doesn't go in straight, like it, it but it, it works, but it just didn't do it as good as the right tool would. So that's, that's how I feel about spinning gear versus bait casting gear is there's really, really no reason why you can't throw every bait with spinning gear, but it's definitely, there's, there's tackle made for certain setups for a reason, you know? Definitely. That's a good analogy. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if you had to pick like three baits for a noob, what would you recommend? Uh, square bill is number one, because it's the easiest bait to use in my opinion. Um, square bill is by far the easiest because it does two things. It moves and it floats. So did someone just get shot over there? I have no <laughs> idea what just happened. <laughs> uh, anyway, so, uh, square bill is my number one. That's the number one go-to bait when I tell people how to like, unless you're Obviously, it depends what level you're at, I guess, because a bobber and a night crawler, I guess, is what I would tell like my nephew and stuff. So, but like the person who's getting into fishing seriously and, you know, old enough to, you know, work double treble hook baits, um, a square bill's easy because square bill only goes about five to six foot of water max. Excuse me. Um, so you're not going to worry about going too deep and getting stuck on everything usually. It also floats up. So if you do snag something or hit something, it'll float up. Or if it breaks off, it'll float back up. Um, and it's a very universal bait. I mean, it's just, it's a good search bait because it covers a lot of, a lot of water and it covers a really good column of the, or, or a really good part of the water column, um, the one to six foot range. So I like square bills first. Um, second, I would definitely say a chatter bait uh, because it's the most universal bait in the market. There's no bait that's more universal than a chatter bait. Um, you can work a chatter bait as a jig. You can work it as a, um, like a buzz bait on the surface if you burn it in. You can work it through weeds. You can work it through structure. You can work it in like an up and down motion, like a rainbow retrieve. You can do so many things. You can change the trailers and make it totally different bait profile out of it. Um, I mean, I've caught every species that you can think of. I've caught on a chatterbait. So chatterbait is my second one because it's it's almost indestructible. I mean, you can bounce it off anything. You can go through a pile of weeds and most of the time you come out clean. Um, and you can retrieve it as fast or slow as you want and change what part of the water column it's in. So it's like the be all... Like if I only had one bait in my rod forever, it would be a chatter bait because it covers every part of the water column. You know, a net rig doesn't and a square bill doesn't and the spinner baits don't. Um, a chatter bait literally is a jig with moving capabilities, you know. So chatter bait's number two for sure for a noob because it's it's just a, a home run. Um, the third one would be a, a, a tie, I guess, between a traditional Texas rig Senko because that's 
another universal bait for everybody. Um, and it's been a tried and true bait for hundreds of years for all I know. I mean, it's been forever. Um, it would be a mix between that and a shaky head, uh, the uh, same idea. Um, and that's because it'll cover the bottom of any depth. You can be in a hundred foot of water or five foot of water and still fish that bait. Um, you can be fishing for pike or large mouth or small mouth and still fish that bait. Um, that's, it, it's just, it's an easy one to teach. It's an easy one to tell people just cast it out there, reel it in slowly or pop it on the bottom or lift it up and let it fall. Like there's so many techniques that are so simple to learn. Um, so if you have a shaky head <coughs> set up or a Senko Texas rig set up, um, or you have a chatterbait, um, or you have a square bill, I mean, you pretty much can catch fish in any body of water. All right. So going back to the chatterbait thing, okay. I, sorry, my phone's Bluetooth to my, sorry. Hey, good. <laughs> um, we've kind of had a debate in uh in paddle and fin here you know brad hicks you know he he swears by the z-man project z chatterbaits and you know a lot of us have been getting uh jackhammers and uh, i actually just caught my first fish with a jackhammer yesterday nice congrats and and that was also my first fish ever to uh log to it or to upload for a tournament so pretty psyched about that but uh there's been kind of debate where brad's saying that he he don't think the jackhammer's worth the extra money he thinks he can do just as good with a project z uh as anybody could do with a jackhammer i don't know i, I did an interview about the jackhammer with jody queen who won over forty thousand dollars last year on it he made me a believer that's why i went out and got him so what, what's your opinion on that what's your chatterbait of choice so I did a video on my YouTube channel about what chatterbait to choose because there's so many options. Um, the jackhammer is worth it's 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 worth its weight in gold, 100%. Um, the only thing worth more than a jackhammer right now would be hand sanitizer or toilet paper, and <laughs> and that's that's how high up I put the jackhammer. Like literally, my camera guy today made a joke and he goes, "Hey, you can just pay me in jackhammers if you want." And he was being serious because he's like, I can't get them and I want them. And they're worth, they're selling for like 50 bucks on eBay right now. It's ridiculous. Are and all was, of them? You're talking about just that, that red one. The fire craw. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, How many so do here's you Because I might buy some too. So here's my theory. Well, it's not even a theory. Here's, here's the facts behind the chatterbait. The jackhammer is the best one. It's just hands down. It's not actually the best one because it's a Z-Man chatterbait. It's the best one because it's made with evergreen components from Japan. So when you throw, there's a big variety of chatterbaits. Everything from the original, which comes is the only one that comes in a quarter ounce. The original and the elite both come in quarter ounce. All the other ones are heavier than a quarter ounce or so three-eighths and up. So when you throw, um, like, so uh, if, can I go in order on the chatterbaits really quick or do you want me yep. just to answer the jacket? Yep. Okay, I, I figure this will help more people anyway. I'll do this really fast. Um, so the original and the elite come in a quarter ounce. So I throw those ones when I'm trying to keep them higher up on the water column. If I'm trying to use a chatterbait above a weed bed or in shallow water where it can't hit the bottom or it's going to snag everything, that's where the light, really nimble, like quarter ounce chatterbaits come in handy. Um, the problem with the quarter ounce chatterbaits, or not a problem, but the con, I guess, compared to the pros, is that when this hits the water, there's almost like a little bit of a delay when you start moving it. When I, Whenever I cast a chatterbait original or an elite, um, actually even a freedom or a project Z I'll throw it out there and I'll just like pop it once to get that chatterbait moving. And then I'll start retrieving. Um, 
where the jackhammer, you don't have to do that. The jackhammer is an immediate response. As soon as that thing hits the water, it's already vibrating. So it's a solid, if you cast correctly, when you're casting and you already start retrieving before it hits the water, it hits and then it's already swimming. It hits that water buzzing. And that's an immediate reaction because the components are, the, the, the paint is better, the coffin style blade is thicker, the, um, the pin on the front is better quality. It's a thicker material. The, the hook is a bigger wire. The skirt is a little bit longer and a little bit more solid. Everything about the jackhammer is made with better components. That's why it costs so much money. It's Japanese steel. It's Japanese design. Um, and Z-Man put it together in their bait. So the jackhammer is literally, like, the 3-8-ounce jackhammer is, like, it's, like, what's, I, have, I have two of my rods right now, two of my rods set up with it all year long. And it's literally, like, the home run bait. And that's one of those baits, the jackhammer is the shape of it is perfect for a jig. So that's the one I use when I'm using as a jig too. And I'm not even retrieving it like a normal bait. I'll use that one like a jig because it is built like a normal jig. It's just a bigger head. Um, they came out with a new one this year called the CFL, which is the football head. And that's the only other one now that I'll use as a jig because it's got a big football head on it. And it's perfect to bounce off big ledges down South. And you know, like when you're in Tennessee on the Tennessee river and you're hitting those ledges, that's that football jig is amazing for a chatterbait. And then when you pop it up, it'll vibrate and fall back down. Um, but getting back on track with the chatterbaits, the chatterbait original and elite are, um, the quarter ounce ones that I use on the top of the water, the, um, freedom chatterbait project Z, um, those ones I'll use in the middle of the column because the, like the freedom chatterbait is jointed. So there's a joint between the head and the hook. So when I put a swim bait trailer on that, the whole back of the skirt and the swim bait moves separately from the chatterbait head. So the chatterbait head stays straight where the whole back end is just going like erratic, like crazy. So I'll use that one in the middle of the water column because I, I use that one as like a swim bait almost. I'll keep that one in the middle usually. I don't let it hit the bottom. I don't let it hit the top. And then when I'm hitting the bottom part of the water column, that's when the jackhammer shines because the jackhammer is that jig shape or the CFL chatterbait. Um, and then, of course, you have like the diesel chatterbait swim bait and the diesel spins, the spinner bait, and those are like all hybrids. Um, but, yeah, there's my theory of the chatterbaits. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm actually wanting to get some of that football head style yeah those are sweet man those are great um yeah i heard that like no matter how hard you try like you know you can't make those ride up and that's one of the issues if you're wanting to stay in that deeper water water column the issue a lot of people have is trying to you know um keep it down there while they're still working it and uh I've heard those will stay down there. So I've been wanting to get some of those to try those for, you know, the winter months or summer months or whatever, whenever I'm fishing more deep water. Yeah. Well, picture like a chatterbait diving into the ground and then just staying there and just skipping across the bottom. And that's what the CFL does is, is that football head just hits the bottom and it just, just bounces on the bottom while it's still chattering. So it gives it that really good, like simulation of a bait fish feeding on the bottom. So uh, those are, those are great as long as you use them for the right thing. Like I said, like use them on the bottom, and they work yeah. perfect. You try if you're trying to burn that on top of a weed line, you're gonna hate it. It's not gonna work. That's what that's what the lighter these ones right here are for. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, I say so much about something sometimes where people are just like, okay, I gotta take that in. Hold on. <laughs> yeah. yeah <I> was... <laughs> I try to put so much info in, in like as fast and as short as I can. And then when I'm done, it's like, sorry, that was too many things at once. You didn't even get to respond to it because I just covered too many things. So <laughs> I was thinking, uh, like I fish the jackhammer on the river. I live about 50 minutes from the Susquehanna. I don't know. I'm, it's a pretty well-known river. It's, they always yeah, say it's a, 
a mile wide and a foot deep. So I, I tend to snag the bottom a lot on with jackhammers. And uh, I don't know if that's just too slow of a retrieve or not the right line set up or, or, or what I'm doing there. But um, I've definitely lost a few that way. Well, so. I would try using the Chatterbait Elite or Originals in the quarter ounce because that's a that's a lighter version, so you can okay. it's easier to keep it up. I still like the Jackhammer better; it's still a better Chatterbait. Um, but in those kind of situations, like I always throw the Originals because one, they're a lot cheaper. So when I lose twenty of them in a river, I'm not going to buy as much. Um, right. But also because, well, that's my, I lose a lot of baits and I'm not a good river fisherman and I'm not afraid to say that there's, there's such an art to being able to fish moving water like that. And I snag everything. Like there'll be, there'll be one stick in the entire river and I'll snag it 25 times. <laughs> like I'll cast like, okay, I'm going to, there's a stick there. I'm going to cast up here. And then somehow my bait goes whoosh, right back to it. So I, I learned I the same to throw way. the cheaper baits <laughs> and these will stay on top of the water a lot better too. If it's fast moving water, obviously, then you this won't ever go below the surface. So you have to throw the jackhammers and you have to have something heavier. So it's kind of like a catch 22. But then you got to start just like, you know, I always do like a foot per second on average for falling for a three eighth ounce. So I let it fall like, you know, a foot and then I'll bring it in. So it'll stay a foot below the surface. And then hopefully there's no trees or anything at that level. But, you know, yeah. the Susky is really shallow. So who knows what's, you know, you could snag a branch in three inches of water in that river. True enough. Um, I was gonna look. Uh, so I was thinking. Um, another thing I read in that article was about uh, electronics and how I was curious how much you rely on electronics to find fish, versus how much it's just kind of uh, searching and and that kind of thing. These are awesome topics because these are all topics that I like debate about a lot. Um, <laughs> so like I don't use. Um, Sorry, oh, he's getting serious. He's got to take his head <laughs> off. He's serious. Well, I should have put it back. I should have pulled it over the top and been like, hold on. Um, <laughs> I've been outside all day. I've been wearing a hat for like six hours already. So it feels good to take it off. Um, so this is another debate and it's another personal preference. So, you know, don't come out, out with your pitchforks running at me saying, well, you said this. Um, it's just my opinion. I use electronics for a lot of things. I don't use them to find fish. And I tell people this in seminars all the time. If you're trying to find fish with a fish finder as a new person, you're going to drive yourself crazy. You know, once you, if you're a veteran in the industry or you're in the sport and you know how to read electronics really well, obviously you can find fish with a fish finder. I don't use it to find fish. I use it to find bait fish. I use it to find structure. And when I use my fish finders, I have, I have different, I have so many different models of electronics on all my different kayaks and I have, you know, nine inch screens, seven inch screens, four inch screens and different models. And they all do the same thing for me for the most part. Some just do it better. And I look for structure. And then when I find structure, I look for the drop offs or I look for a tree on the bottom or a pile of rocks. When I find that I look for bait fish, I look for little balls of bait fish. And if I find bait fish, that's where I fish. Not because I found fish that I'm trying to catch, but I found everything that was required to have the predator fish that I'm looking for in place because excuse me, fish move. I mean, I don't know if anyone knows that or not, but fish move. <laughs> so if you see one on your fish finder, you don't know if it's three feet in front of you or three feet behind you or three feet next to you, or if it just saw something and got spooked and took off. But what doesn't move is the structure that doesn't move most. I mean, I guess what it is, but most of the time, if you see a pile of rocks, it's not going to be, it's still going to be there in a month. So what I do is I mark structure on my fish finders and I go, cool, there's a pile of rocks 
and there should be bait fish around that because there's no other structure around here and bait fish need somewhere to hide from all the predator fish that I'm trying to catch. So my job as a fisherman is to try to simulate that whatever the fish are feeding on that I'm trying to catch. I mean, that's everyone's goal, right? So if I see a pile of rocks and I see some little bait fish around it, I'm fishing the crap out of that. Even if I don't mark any big fish at all, because I know that the big fish eventually have to come here and eat and I'm going to be there waiting for them. And that's how I, that's how I've been successful at catching the bigger fish. Usually when I go out, that's how I got the name Basquatch Hunter. I started finding the bigger fish because I wouldn't look for the school of bass that everybody else looks for. I would look for the school of bait fish that the big fish are looking for. And then I would fish in that area. And it's, you know, I hook a lot of shad on accident doing that, but that's what, that's what I'm doing. So I use a fish finder to look for structure, for depth changes, for bait fish piles, for any, um, any, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like any inconsistencies on the bottom. If it's a flat bottom, I look for that little hole, that little dip, you know, places like Lake St. Clair. The reason why Lake St. Clair is such an amazing fishery, but still it's, you know, it can either beat you up or it can make you the best fisherman in the world. And, and it can do the same in both day in one day. It can do both in one day because it's so flat everywhere. But you see that one little teeny drop. That's only a foot, a foot drop off, just one foot difference. That's where you're going to find all your fish. So I don't look for the fish that are moving nonstop. I look for that drop off where the fish should be. And I just fish the crap out of it. And listening to you, I'm kicking myself right now <laughs> because you just reminded me of something I didn't do yesterday. All right, so I said yesterday I caught my first jackhammer fish. I was out at a lake I've never fished before. I'm actually doing like this little event with a local kayak trail. It's kind of like a tournament style, but it's four people go out for four hours. And or there's four groups of four people that go out for four hours. They call it the 444. Um, can y'all hear that thunder? It's about to get bad here. <laughs> uh, yeah, my I didn't know this what it was. Pretty- I thought it was wind in your microphone. No, that's thunder. Um, so, in, anyways, long story short, I'm, I was kind of pre-fishing for that because I've never fished this area. It, you know, all four people, they get together and pick where they want to fish at and what time and all that. They just have like a week to have it done. So, the area that everybody picked, you know, me being kind of new or whatever, you know, I was like, wherever y'all want to go, just go. I've never fished it here before. So I was like, let me get a little bit of pre-fishing in. And, you know, I'm new to the fish finder thing. I've only had a decent fish finder since, what was it, November, whenever I set it up. Maybe maybe it was December. I think, I think it was November. But anyways, you know, I'm still getting used to it. But one thing, you know, it don't show me like a map, but I can still set waypoints on it. So, like, I if I get close to an area, I can find where, and I was, and that's kind of what I've been trying to do is trying to look for structure. And, and, uh, I listening to you, I'm sitting here thinking like, I should have been putting those waypoints down on all that structure I found. And so now I'm going to have to go completely by memory after like a week after being out there. Yeah. And that's another thing too, about, I'm glad you mentioned that because I don't set waypoints where I catch fish. Um, I set waypoints where I find structure um, and it usually is where I catch fish anyway. But like I said, the fish might be in one spot today and tomorrow they'll be on the other side of the lake. But the only consistency is they're going from one structure to another sort of structure. That's the only consistency you'll have with bass behavior is they're always going to try to find structure. Same thing with bait fish to understand bass behavior is to understand bait fish behavior. Um, so if the bait fish always have to find somewhere to hide, 
then I'm always going to try to find out where they're going to hide. You know what I mean? Like the best predator doesn't just sit there and wait for its prey to come to them. The best predator finds out where its prey is going to be and then finds a way to ambush. So, you know, I, I, like I said, I just, I, if I mark a pile of rocks today, it's going to be there and hopefully forever, but it'll be there for every time I go there. So no matter what the conditions are or what changes, I know that that's where the bait fish should be. You know, it's not always accurate, like I said, but you'll have an off day. But like today, um, I had a rough time fishing today and I fished a lake. I've been fishing for 20 years. I know every tree on the bottom of that lake, every pile of rocks. And, you know, they just, it was, today was a tough bite. It was 42 degree water temps up here. So, um, but at the same time, I know that once the water warms up more, I know where they're going to be still, you know, it's not going to change. So when you go back to these lakes, do you just pretty much waypoint hop then your way around or uh, is that how you approach it? Um, most lakes. Yeah. Okay. Um, it all depends. Um, I fish a lot of different bodies of water, obviously. So I fish new bodies of water pretty often. Um, and also water levels change. So if a water, if, if a body of water is five foot higher than it was last time, my waypoints kind of adjust a little bit because now there's new structure. Um, and some of my structure that I was fishing before at 10 foot of water is now 15 foot of water, which might be too deep for the fish to be at. Depends what the weather's like. So I adjust, I adjust based off of weather and conditions and the wind. If it's super windy one day, then my structure points aren't really nearly as important as going to like a point sticking out on shore, like visible structure. So like I look for structure under the surface when it's calm. Um, when it's windy out, I look for structure above the surface. I look for points that come out or peninsulas because you can just look without a fish finder. You can just look and see the water has a big break. Like if there's like an eddy behind the point or, you know, you can see where there's no current behind this point that comes out. And if you were a predator fish and you're sitting there waiting to stalk some bait fish, I think that's probably the best spot you could possibly be is the bait fish are going to get pushed through by the current and the wind. And you're sitting in a spot where there's no current. So you don't have to swim to stay there. You're just sitting still with no effort watching your food swim past your face. So when it's windy out, I don't care about the structure as much or the waypoints. When I go to a new lake, I'll look for the, the, the topical structure. And then if it's the same conditions as I was on last week, then I'll go to the same waypoints. If that makes any sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Like I only waypoint hop is if it's the same situation or same conditions as it was last time I set those waypoints. That's why I use the angler app. That's like the only reason why I use the angler app is it tracks my weather conditions when I was out that day. So when I mark a waypoint, I can go, well, it was 25 mile hour winds and this, this point worked well today. There's one mile hour wind, there's zero wind. So that structure isn't going to matter today. You know? Yeah. We just brought angler on as a sponsor for the podcast. So oh, we're excited that. about that. Yeah. Yeah. Angler is awesome, I, man. They, they do some cool stuff there. Well, Sean, you got anything else? Uh, the only other thing I was going to ask is what's the best piece of advice you think you got fishing or otherwise related for a, for a beginner? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's actually a good point too, because I, I got reminded of this one today. I got, I got fed my own advice today on this one. Um, my biggest advice for a beginner or a veteran in fishing in general is to remember two things. One, this is supposed to be fun no matter what. Um, it's not supposed to be life or death. It's not, you're not trying to win a Super Bowl here. It's not the end of the world. Um, it's supposed to be fun at the end of the day, whether you catch fish or not, it's supposed to be a good time. And you're supposed to enjoy, you know, the people, the camaraderie, um, the environment, the respect, the animals, the fish, everything like that. Is that thunder? 
Jeez, dude. I'm about to get blown away. And... I know. I'm like, is your house going to fall? Like, jeez. Ah. But um, so it's supposed to be fun. So always just remember when you get in your own head, just have fun. The second thing is a continuation of that. Um, but I, I've had this theory that I feel like is scientifically proven, and I think everybody will agree to this. Fish can feel your stress through the fishing line. So if you're freaking out about catching fish, if you're putting pressure on yourself, you're going to start retrieving faster. I did it today. I, I It took me five hours to catch a fish today. And I was doing it. And my camera guy was like, hey, man, you're working a jerk bait like a buzz bait. What are you doing? And I was like, oh, my God, you're right. Like, I wasn't even, like, I was frantic. I was, I was like, stressed out. And I was, like, daydreaming, thinking about, like, man, I need to get a fish soon. And I'm just, like, retrieving and retrieving. And he's like, dude, you're not even jerking the jerk bait. Like, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, my God, you're right. Like, and that's what happens is you start switching baits because you lose all confidence. So you start switching baits too fast. You start switching spots too fast. You start working the bait quicker than you're supposed to. You stop being patient. And that's what fishing's about is patience and relaxation and, and, and enjoyment. So, you know, both of those two pieces of advice fall into the same category as far as fishing's fun. Um, getting out on the water with your friends or by yourself or anything is a, is a, is a thing that can recenter you. I mean, fishing and being in the outdoors in general has saved lives. And, you know, just remember that when you're out there doing it, you're lucky and privileged to be able to be out doing that and to enjoy it. Don't let it get in your head. Don't, if you don't catch a fish all day, who cares? Like, it's not the end of the world. I skunk all the time. It happens. I mean, I don't know how many videos I've had. I've had episodes of my show where I didn't catch a fish because it happens. You know, if you, if you let it ruin your experience or ruin your love or passion for the sport, no one's going to win from that. All you're doing is losing from it. And if you didn't catch a fish all day, honestly, you've already lost. You've already, you already feel pretty bad about it. So why take that away? Like why take away the excitement of catching a fish next week? You know, so keep a clear head, always have fun. And uh, remember the sport's supposed to be great. And you know, it all comes down to us making it great. So that's about it. Awesome. I I can definitely use that advice. I've gotten way too frustrated about not catching fish. I do it too, man. I still, I do it. I did it today. Like literally I said, my camera guy was like, Hey man, uh, you're not working a jerk bait, like a jerk bait. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm like, no, I, I, what did I do? He goes, what are you doing right now? I'm like retrieving. And then he just like paused and I was like, Oh, got it. <laughs> like I'm just, I'm <laughs> frantic. I, I was, I was frustrated and it happened. So definitely. Well, well, awesome, man. Uh, Sean, you got anything else before we start wrapping it up? No, I think that covered everything, Mike. I just wanted to say thanks. I, I mean, uh, I love what you say at the end of your shows, you know, take care of the the fish that you catch, the waters that you're in, and the people that you meet. I think uh, just that message translates perfectly to what the world needs right now, uh, especially right now. So keep up the good work, man. Thank you very much, man. I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, thank you guys for having me on again. I'm a big fan of you guys and big fan of the podcast and what you guys do over there and promoting the sport. So um, thanks for having me on again. I really appreciate it. Hey, you want to shout out like social media and uh, sponsors and all that good stuff real quick? Yeah. Um, make sure you guys check out Paddle and Finn Podcast. I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I'll, I'll do a little a little shameless uh, plug for my stuff. Um, you guys can check me out on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, um, all under Basquatch Hunter TV. And, uh, of course, go to the Pursuit channel and check out the show and let me know what you guys think of it. Um, but more importantly um, – I want to make sure people remember to everything I do isn't to promote myself or to promote fishing in general, to promote the passion and the excitement and the love that I experienced in this whole journey. And, and, you know, 
hopefully it inspires people to do the same thing. So um, I hope you guys watch my show and like everything I do. And I have a podcast every Wednesday as well at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Facebook. Uh, we're on episode uh, 123 this week. I had to look at the number. Um, so we've been doing it for 123 weeks, and, and it's it's super cool. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. If you guys want to see this, the brands that I use that help me do what I do, they're not all sponsors. That's a funny thing, too, is when I give shout-outs to sponsors – it's funny because I include brands that aren't my sponsors. They're just brands that I believe in and I use that help me do what I do. And people should never really know who my sponsors are versus the ones that are just, I'm just a customer of because I treat them all the same way. Um, but Z-Man fishing products is amazing. I've been using them for 10 years. Um, you know, they're one of my sponsors, but they're, I would be using them no matter what. Um, FX custom rods is I use them for free for years. Um, they, before I was sponsored by them, they're one of my favorite rods. They're sensitive as all heck. They're the best price point um, for that kind of a rod. Um, that kind of rod should be around the $250 price range, and it's closer to $150 instead. Um, Feel Free Kayaks have been amazing. I mean, every brand makes a great kayak at this point. Um, I think, you know, even even Pelican and, you know, even the brands that are supposed to be like lower brands, um, they all have great boats. So it doesn't matter what you're in. The fish don't care, but feel free is what I've been using and what I prefer for what I do. I like the stability and comfort versus speed. Um, and they're great price too. Um, yak gear and railblazer, all my accessories. Again, I've been using them for four years, five years now. And, uh, I just love the interchangeable part of their accessories and they, they listen to the anglers and make new products that people want and need. Um, and they're very inexpensive too. I like using inexpensive gear because I like being able to tell, you know, Joe Schmo, who it just got his first kayak, be like, Hey, you can buy everything I use and it's affordable. You know, I'm not going to try to sell someone a $250 pair of Oakley's and say, you need these. It's like, you don't, you just need polarized sunglasses to be able to see light refraction, like no big deal. Um, so all the brands I use are affordable for a reason. Um, Abu Garcia reels, same thing. they make incredible reels at every price range. Um, Raximus rod storage is one of my favorite products that people don't realize how important it is until you get one. Um, these racks back here, um, these are the tracks that I use in my trailer, my fishing room, my garage, and they hold your rods. Like I've had these on a ceiling of my trailer, my enclosed trailer for two years now. Never once have I ever had one fall or come unclipped or drop a rod or, um, and I go over dirt roads and potholes. I, I mean, I drive back and forth across the country. So, um, Raximus makes great stuff too, but, um, yeah, other than that, man, you guys can always, anybody can always check out my stuff and just see the brands I use and whether they're a sponsor or not, I use them for a reason. You know, if, if I don't like the brand or the people behind it, I won't use it. So. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate but, you coming on here. And what are you yeah, thanks say for something? having me on again, man. I really, I really appreciate coming on here. And anytime you guys ever uh, have any questions or anytime you guys want to hear me ramble and rant on about something, then give me a call. <laughs> So just again, real quick, and correct me if I get these times wrong, but make sure you check him out on his new show on the Pursuit Channel. The day this comes out, it'll be 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, then Wednesday, it'll be 6 a.m. Eastern yep. Time. And then the that Saturday, it'll be 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. 6.30 p.m. 6.30, okay. Yep. Maybe I was thinking 5.30 for me because I'm Central Time. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, make sure you go check check out his show. I know I'm going to try to catch it myself. Uh, any final words from you, Sean? No, man. Just uh, thanks again. Yeah, of course, man. Sorry. I talk so much, man. <laughs> no, Dude, it was good. awesome. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, Sean, uh, I, I don't remember what your new outro was. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hey, uh, best of your noobs. We'll bring you the tick trips and tick 
Ah, I can't even say it. Bringing you you the tricks and tips to help you rip more lips. Thanks. That's a really easy one to to make inappropriate on accident. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) I literally reply. All right, well, I'm going to get back to work, guys. Thanks for having me. Go check out the website, guys. Paddle, the letter N and fin.com. Also, check out YouTube, youtube.com forward slash paddle and fin. If you got a question, comment, want to hear from a future guest, feel free to email us at paddle, the letter N and fin at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media. We're doing giveaways, announcements, things like that at Facebook and Instagram at Paddle and Finn. Shout out to our show supporters, Rocktown Adventures, Loveland Canoe and Kayak, Hammered Lures, Fish Mob Lures, TRC Covers, Catch Products. Go to catchproducts.com. You can put the Paddle and Finn logo right on your catchboard. Don't forget to go over and pick up your Jig Masters jigs. Use promo code PNF20 and save 20% today. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to. It helps grow the audience, helps others find our podcast. So please drop a five-star rating in on the podcast platform you're listening on. Don't forget about the Recycled Plastics program, you guys. Take your used plastic baits, put them in an envelope, mail them to the address in the show notes. Our man Eric Richards at Hammered Lures melts those down, makes new baits, and donates them to various chapters of Heroes on the Water.